Now, for the intro, I normally start with a question, but I have to do a little bit of context making and, and a preface. And you know, from time to time, I use uh, my children as illustrations, and they get wind of it. And uh, they're starting to get a little bit bothered by it. And so they said, Dad, I think it's about time you use yourself a little bit more. And I said, I do share some stories, but like, no, like in a kind of make fun kind of way, right? And so this is my attempt to, to be a part, to make things good with my kids. And, and so you'll see in a minute. Um, but let me begin now, just having set that up, with a deeper question. I know I'm good at like shifting gears here, very uh, abrupt, but... How has history, when you just think of this world, just the world that we live in, and, and actually without even telling Trevor, uh, our MC today, he was getting onto that in his introduction, it came out in the prayer, and, and, and this world, when we look out, just even right now in this time in history, is it just me, or do you scratch your head with me at just the kind of leaders that our world allows? to rise to power and responsibility to lead this world. Not only here and now, but you look through all of history, and we could spend endless time just recounting all the, the curious leaders, evil leaders, to, to cut to the chase. We're not going to name names today, but even today in 2017, I'm sure all of us could rant and rave about how could this person get into power? What is this person doing and so forth? Now for me, I went through phases where there was first a phase of just disillusionment, even some despondency, sometimes even becoming depressed. And now it just feels absurd. It feels almost comical that we allow certain leaders to rise to power. And so this is at my children's behest. This is how I feel. That is me. Right? I don't get it. If you're uh, not a millennial, then I guess you don't know what this is. My bitmoji, right? This is my comic version of, of myself. But that's how I feel at times. Like, it, it's almost comical. It, it's, it's just so absurd how we might let such morally bankrupt people rise to the occasion and, and to take that place, but not necessarily you know, fulfilling that occasion the way that we would like or they should. Let me get more personal. What leader do you hope in today? Now, I know I started on a sort of big-scale world history level, but in everyday life even, just down to your very personal story, maybe it was your dad growing up that you hoped in, your mom. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe... It's your boss and director right now. Maybe it's your spouse or your significant other. What leader did you hope in? And I'm just cutting to the chase. The reality that all of us have been hurt by certain leaders in our lives. People that we look to to speak some truth, to guide us to greener pastures. But they fail. What leader has disappointed you? Now, as we come to Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 41, remember, what's most important as we come to Scripture is to walk away with how has God loved me in Christ? And specifically, how has Jesus taken my place as a sinner on the cross for me? 
and to place my faith in that Jesus. And then, to, the next step is to ask them, now how, as I place my faith in Jesus, do I live out that grace that He's afforded for me by taking my place on the cross? And so the question we want to ask of Acts 5 here is, how do we place our faith in Jesus? And this is the, the focus that I want to bring us to, and hopefully we'll, we'll end up here and see this clearly by the end. First, lament. I'm giving you permission, not, in my, not myself, but Scripture here is giving us permission to cry about, to, to work through your disappointments, your pains, your wounds, because of this world's imperfect, broken leadership. Lament before the crucified Jesus. You can pour out all your disappointments of from small-scale leaders to dads and coaches and teachers and moms and so forth to grand-scale political world history leaders. You can pour all of that onto Jesus on the cross. He came to take all of that brokenness and disappointment and imperfection upon himself too on the cross. And then as we place our faith in Jesus, that he died for all this, then we can trust the risen Jesus as your Christ. Now, where do we get this idea? This comes from the text because just to point to where this comes out clearly, first, verse 31, this is Paul responding to the council, the religious council, the Pharisees and the high priests and the Sadducees that were, uh, had arrested them and putting them on trial. And Peter is responding in the middle of a speech, God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand, the place of privilege and power and authority, as leader and savior. And at first I scratched my head because isn't it normally Lord and Savior? And I got into the original language, and, and the word that Peter actually uses is the original word, the Greek language for leader. And so here you see, as far as I can recall in my memory right now in Scripture, that Jesus is actually referred to as a leader. And this word we are all familiar with in 2017. We're meant to consider Jesus and place our faith in Jesus as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and not only to Israel, the church is the, the final true Israel, and so really to repentance that God is offering up to the whole world. And then verse 42, this is how it concludes. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. What? That the Christ is Jesus. And so leader and Savior here in this passage, it really is this passage, this Luke is offering a definition of what it means that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title, and it's the Greek word for, the Hebrew word for Messiah. The Hebrews, the Jews, Israel was originally looking forward to their Messiah. And it's a title that literally means anointed one. But as you gather and study all the passages that talk about the Messiah in Scripture, you can basically distill it down to that what it means for God's anointed one what, what his role would be, his function, is to be a saving leader. And specifically saving us from the greatest bind and detriment that 
we face, which is the shackles of our sin and moral bankruptcy before God. Now, through history, Israel, of course, they went, um, took a bit of a detour, and, and, and they were just looking mostly for a political savior, a military savior and leader. And they lost sight of the greater spiritual saving leader that God was raising up through history in this man, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we mean by trust the risen Jesus. You need to come to a place where you are placing your faith that that the Spirit has opened up your eyes to behold Jesus as your saving leader. The one that you look to in your prayers daily as you go to His Word daily. God, guide me today again. Jesus, lead me again today. And lead me from a place of being so just radiant and rested and joyful in your grace that has saved me. If you're the type that appreciates an outline, it's there in your bulletin, and so let's dive into it. Just the points then. And so how? How do we place our faith in Jesus as our saving leader, as our Christ? First, we need to stand up. We need to, the, to stand up to the leadership status quo with the gospel. This is what the first part of the passage calls us to. And this is a call to stand up to every leader, every leadership status quo, even church leadership. As the priesthood of all believers, as followers of Christ, you should always be standing up in a sense, and by stand up I mean testing. Testing the status quo of leadership against the gospel. So even church leaders and pastors, we all know And the church has much to apologize for through history. We have much to be embarrassed of, of how the church at many moments in history went off God's planned path. And the church leadership was not on par with the gospel. And this is so important because if you're not familiar with the old sort of parable, you know, what's the easiest way? This I know this is a bit violent, but it's a parable and there's a lesson there. But but what's the easiest way to, 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 to... Lay a frog to rest. I'll just try to use some euphemistic terms here. And if you have a pot of boiling water, and you just throw the frog into the boiling water, because it's cold-blooded, it, it will feel that, that scalding temperature and just jump out instantaneously. But you put the frog in a nice cold pot of water, and you put it over the stove, and you turn up the heat just slowly, because it's cold-blooded, it doesn't realize that the temperature is, is going higher and higher and higher. It just blends in with, with the, the heat, eventually to the point that it dies. And so we talk about the frog in the kettle. Now, this dynamic, it, it happens to us as human beings all the time. And in fact, it was happening here in Acts. And so as we pick up in Luke's narrative, this record of the church, but, now, that but introduces what happened before. And just in summary, there was this wonderful show of God's grace being poured out and signs and wonders, being, people being healed as signposts to our eternity and our new resurrection bodies and new creation, just a perfect eternity after death if we place our faith in Christ. And many were being healed, and so as these good deeds were happening... These kindnesses and these miracles, the high priest rose up because he did not feel very good about what was going on. 
Now, let me first make an application point to the church. For the church in 2017, and especially in Western society in 2017, we need to take this word to heart. We, why? Because in 2017, the Western world, charitableness has become a thing. Being charitable and doing good humanitarian deeds and works, there's, there's more than ever before a sense of being a global community and wanting to show kindness to one another and, and donate and so forth and rise up to when there are natural disasters and so forth. Now here, the religious establishment at a time, the religious status quo, the status quo leadership, they saw all this good going on, this healing. And they weren't producing those kind of good works and kindnesses and healings in the people's lives. And so they had to rise up in jealousy to all these kindnesses that were being poured out. In 2017, the church has it a lot harder because the secular world and everyone outside the church seems to have perhaps even more money and more resources and more clout and so forth. And and so our Western world is already doing so much good. When I look out on Toronto, if I didn't believe in eternity with Jesus, I would think that Toronto, this city, is so beautiful with all its community services and, and, and its centers and all its... Just, it has so much good to offer. So many beautiful parks and places to rest. And, and of course, it's not a perfect city. But, but if I didn't know that there was an eternity, a new creation to look forward to after death, I would think that Toronto is, is a little piece of heaven on earth. And so all the more, this is a challenge for us as Christ followers in 2017. At the least, we need to be overflowing as much as possible good works and kindnesses wherever and however we can. So much so that that the city will rise up and scratch their heads and, and why are they doing so much good? Why are they even perhaps even trying to compete with us in a sense? And so they were filled with jealousy. And jealousy here basically means the, the fear of losing what their hearts are attached to. That's what jealousy is, right? When, when you're jealous that you're going to lose a friend or a lover. And so the status quo of leadership, the religious institution at the time, the old guard of Judaism, their feathers were ruffled. And so what did they do? They put them in the public prison. Now, Christians in Toronto, we certainly are not persecuted to the point of being sent in prison, but I wonder if, if someone stood up for um, what they believe is our, our biblical values and truths, especially in our inclusive, inclusive society, until you, you stand up against those inclusive values. I wonder if we would get to this point, but the point is here, these early church Christians, there was something that happened internally in their encounter with Jesus and witnessing Jesus and his resurrection that they were willing to go to this point to stand up for what they believe in. Now here is an encouragement to us as Christ's followers. But during the night, and so Peter and the apostles are put into prison, they are arrested. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And so here, a supernatural occurrence. The prison doors are unlocked. Now I know for our skeptic friends, 
this, you're automatically just writing it off now. There you go. It's a fairy tale. It's Harry Potter, right? Just in, in, in the Bible. And a magic wand is being waved and, and an angel comes and opens the door. And, and I don't have time to do a full apologetic here into just explaining miracles and so forth. But if you'll just consider this, and I've said this before here, just consider how far we've come with science. Things that we consider normal today. I mean, just take your smartphone, for example, and just think back to 10 years ago when it was a, a rotary phone. And on, I, I, I heard, um, or maybe even longer than 10 years ago, but heard a little thought on it that, that they shouldn't even be called smartphones because how many of us actually use that phone button on the phones? And, and we use it for everything else sometimes. We're more texting and taking pictures, but this little flat device... That science and technology has come so far, but what would be considered a miracle, say, 20, 30 years ago, is just normal today. And God, being God who created this world in science, I mean, He will will and do as He pleases in this world that He's created. Now, to approach this part, this angel approaching this door miraculously from another angle, there are things that happen in this life that it's too difficult to explain as a coincidence. And I just want to highlight uh, two stories from just within our community. This past week, I was so encouraged by, uh, if you're part of Love of Villages, newsletter. And, and I know the backstory behind all the updates that came in that newsletter. Just all the miraculous provisions and, and even a house being provided for uh, when people go there on trips and an office being provided in Malawi. Love a Village, if you don't know, is uh, one of our members has started up uh, this, this faith-based, gospel-based uh, outreach to the least and the last in Malawi. And I don't have time to get into all the details, but if you want, you can just look for Julie C. She's right there, and you can ask her, and she'll be glad to tell you that it was like a million stars lining up and it could not have been a coincidence. Even here today, as we celebrate our second birthday, and for those of you who don't know stories, let me just give you a short summary of just how this church came about. Linda and I, we uh, were just growing more and more uh, a good anxiety that we had to come out of our Korean immigrant church. God had blessed us there and grown us up there, brought us to faith in Christ there. But more and more we were building deep, significant friendships with people who weren't Korean and who at that time uh, had not placed their faith in Christ yet. And so as we took a step of faith, we basically stepped out with nothing. And we just began to pray, Lord, we, don't, we could start with a whole bunch of Korean Canadians, but I think that'll shoot us in the foot because we envision a multicultural church, a multi-ethnic church to reach out to all our friends who are of every race, and so, Lord, even the people to start with, would you provide? There's a church in Toronto that was very gracious and took me under their wings. And uh, they're downtown, but they had some small groups in this area. Now, before that, just to backtrack, even the, the city, Lord, where do you want us to plant a church? And, and GTA, you know, is huge. And so we started praying, and then God gave us a thought, just put on a map of where all your non-Christian friends live, the, the people that, that your heart is caring for and wanting to start this church. 
And as we put pins on a map, they all surprisingly lived within a 10-kilometer radius of Don Mills and Lawrence, just up the street. And so as I began this internship at a church, I said, well, we're downtown, but we have some small groups up in your target area. So I'm going to give you a choice out of three groups. You can lead two groups, and we give you blessing to share the vision and recruit anyone. And so even that, what, which two out of three? At this point, every decision felt like it would change the world and, and the future. And there was no magic about it or whatever, but just a peace that God was guiding to two groups. Now, in one of those groups, day one, when I shared the vision, this tall man, tallest man that I'd personally ever seen with my own eyes, came right up to me after that, at the end of that night and said, Albert, I have to introduce you to my uncle because we've always wanted to be part of a church plant in this area, and my uncle's church is at a crossroad. But part of that crossroad, that fork in the road, is they're open to a church plant coming in and just completely taking over. And so that led, and that was Matt Wilkes, one of our current elders. And that led to meeting Russ, one of our elders. And then that led in January 2015 to sitting down with Russ, Colin, and Jim. And then basically the rest is history. And so even there, for all these things to line up, can't just call these coincidences. And this is the encouragement as we read this, but during the night an angel of the Lord, when and, and here I'm gonna make it metaphor. When your life seems dark, you feel like you're in your prison. God is working. God is working in your life and to grow his grace in your life. Now, why Will he be interested? Why will he pour out every grace in your life so you can keep standing up and persevering? And I kind of gave the answer away. Verse 20, go and stand. The whole point of them being set free from this prison was that they could go and stand in the temple. And there, so amongst the status quo leadership, but also here, for that time, in, in that place, this was the public square as well. It was not only a place of worship, but it was the public square. Go and stand. And hear this word go. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he gives his great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And it basically means wherever life takes you, wherever you are journeying in life, it's not just a moving from A to B, but as you're going about your day to day, and stand, stand firm, that's what that word means, in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And I think that wording there, describing the gospel as the words of this life, is no mistake. God forgive the church through history that has turned Jesus' gospel into just a legalistic, just, words aren't even coming to me, just shackling rules and, and keeping people farther away from God than, than bringing them close by this wonderful free gift of grace. And so the angel says, offer these words of life. What's meant to emanate from us is, is 
a joyful life, a happy life, despite our circumstances. And even if you are going through something difficult, that you have a hope. Even if you are taking meds for depression, I know what that is. Even if you are doing that, that you have life. Not only for this life, in this life you have a hope that can carry you one step at a time through each new day, whatever that day brings, but also an eternal life, an eternal hope. And so thank you, Peter and the other apostles, for leaving us this example in verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple. They went back into the, uh, amongst the status quo leadership in the public square at daybreak and began to teach. And so in verse 24, we see the, the effects of, of them continuing to keep moving forward despite opposition. The chief priests, when they heard from the temple captain that, I don't know what happened. The miracle happened. They're not there anymore. They're out in the courtyard. They're preaching. And they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering. Now, this challenge I put out there, and and please hear my heart, has couched in God's unconditional free grace and love for you. There's nothing more or less you could do for Christ's righteousness to be perfect over you. You are loved. But nevertheless, as God's grace is real in us, it needs to be doing something from the inside. And as Jesus himself said on the Sermon of the Mount, that we need to be a light and salt, just putting forth our good deeds. And and so there should be something about our lives that perplexes the people around us. It makes them wonder. And so they bring them back in. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you are filled. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, here's a point where uh, a contention that we'll share with the apostles. A lot, often, the reason why people are uncomfortable with Christianity is because they don't want to admit that they're a sinner. Which means they don't want to admit that they themselves, at the end of the day, their sins, their life, is what placed Christ on the cross. This was the same contention that the status quo leadership had. And it's a similar challenge that you and I will face, even in 2017. But look at what Peter and the apostles answered. We must obey God rather than men. Now one of my friends, my non-believing friends that I've discussed this with, he says, see, there it is. It, this is what's wrong about religion. It turns people into zealots. That's what everyone in the Middle East is saying. We have to obey God and just that's why we'll kill and so forth. But no, a quick answer you can give there is when Christianity, yes, the church has many embarrassments through history, but when Christianity, when Christ followers are following Jesus and His gospel in the right manner, it is a movement of kindness and love. Even while we hold on to these great truths. Let me move forward. In verse 33, their reaction and response from their, their emotions, their affections, 
to the apostles then in verse 30, when they heard this, and Peter just concluding, uh, basically a recap of the gospel, that we're sinners, we need Christ and forgiveness of sins, and only through him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Now, again, in Toronto, we, we, we get by easy. And I think Toronto, it will never allow for Christians to be martyred here. But even as 2017 Torontonian Christ followers, we need to remember this map. This is a map uh, from Voice of the Martyrs. And if you want to learn about Christians right now who are being persecuted because of their confession in Christ, just go to this website. But we would be remiss. We, we will stay, we will stunt in our growth as Christ followers if we don't keep an eye out on the state of the whole church that to this day there are Christ followers in whom the Spirit has made so real the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead, even though they never saw Jesus as the apostles did, to the point that they're willing to say, Yes, Lord, and obey and go into harm's way because of God's love compelling them to love those who don't know Christ yet, even if those people are willing to kill them. Now, which leads to a second point here. Persevere. Persevere in your witness because seekers are watching. People are watching. Now, as the majority of the council here, they rose up and they were filled with rage and wanted to kill them. In verse 34, but there was one man, a Pharisee, in the council named uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. And just as a quick side note, for those who love uh, trivia, this was future Apostle Paul's mentor. A teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up. See, it's about... There's a theme going on. Even in this little passage, people are rising up, standing up. We need to stand up. The status quo will stand up. We also need to stand up firm in grace. And so he stood up, and then he began to give his perspective. And he's a seeker here because he's, he's studying what's going on. He said, before these days, and he gives a quick recap. There was a man named Judas. He rose up claiming to be somebody like a Messiah, but basically it uh, fell through. And then after him was Judas the Galilean. Same thing. He rose up, but then they, that movement perished. Now, yesterday, I um, went out for, uh, if you don't know, I, I really enjoy, and, and uh, one grace in my life is just the, the ability, the health, the ability to, to ride my bike. And so yesterday was my uh, cycling club's last official ride with the cold weather, weather here now and it being too dark in the mornings, etc. And uh, I, I made a point of just going out to this last official ride to just continue to build rapport with my buddies. And I'm kind of glad I did because we got to an intersection. This is a picture from yesterday. This is on a hill, and I was getting dropped by them because they're much stronger than me. But we came to an intersection, and it's still pitch black, and then this black pickup truck, came zooming by and just started honking at us. It wasn't like a Tour de France, like, allez, allez, you know, good job. But it was, it was an angry honk, like, wah, 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 right? And, and then one guy just, uh, you know, cheekishly said, I guess he didn't have his double-double, right? And 
And then when he stopped, and then he cut in front of us, and thankfully he didn't bowl anyone over, and he stopped in front of us, and then on his bumper was a cross. <laughs> now, it wasn't a straightforward-looking cross. It was one of those sort of gothic, used to you know, kill a vampire kind of cross with the little, I don't know what the proper name is. But my buddy, he just blurted out, hey, there's a cross. Does that mean he's Christian? And I don't know if you forgot I am Christian or, or what was going on. And then I'm thinking, think quick, Albert, think quick. You know, what are you going to say? And then I said, I don't think that's Christian because that looks more like one of those vampire crosses. Maybe he believes in vampires. I actually said that. He just looked at me. And then the light turned green. And before he could say anything, it just went off, right? But my point is this. Like, they're watching. The world is watching. Okay, the world is watching. For, for families here, your kids are watching. Your friends are watching. Everyone is still watching. There are seekers out there. And their hearts are this close. If just the right testimony, the right explanation will be given. Now look at his attitude here. So in the present case, I tell you, this is Gamaliel again. Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Seekers are looking for a testimony, a witness that is consistent and will last through all the tests of time. And the church has. The church is the one institution, the church of Jesus Christ bearing a gospel of grace is still withstanding persecution if you think back to that map. And so third and finally, saints, to my Christian brothers and sisters here today, keep testing your affections. Why your affections? Because when it comes down to the gospel playing out in your everyday life, where it makes the most difference where it will test you the most is where your affections lie. Is your deepest affection Christ? Or are our affections being distracted and lured away by all our earthly affections? We can know, many people know the gospel. They can recount a, a very succinct propositional summary of the gospel. They can explain it. But really where it needs to make the most difference is in our heart and our affections. And so, where do we see this? As Luke wraps up this section, so the council took Gamaliel's advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They were physically beaten here. And we might not be physically beaten. Maybe some of us have been for our faith. But perhaps you've been beaten up socially, made fun of, emotionally, so forth. How do we need to respond? How did the apostles respond? Then they left the presence of the council, the apostles, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What's going on here? What does this mean that they counted it rejoicing that they counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name? Is it because they're, they're masochists? No. It's because their greatest affection was Jesus. Because of Jesus' great affection for them, 
And so any fear that they might have, any pain or suffering that they might have, it paled in comparison to the love that was welling up in their souls. And so 1 John 4.18, just another scripture that speaks to this. This is supposed to be our experience as Christ followers. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's a love that's greater than all our fears, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, the council, the status quo leadership, was trying to just inject fear into the apostles and make them stop by fear and beating them up. But there was a love in them that was greater than even that fear. Let's land this plane. So, let me ask you. And these questions are meant to prick a little bit. How courageously do you go and stand up? How prayerfully aware are you of all the seekers in your life? How often do you refresh your vision of Jesus as your Christ, your saving leader, as your deepest affection. If you're like me, then you'll feel a bit sheepish at your answers to these questions. Because we all fail in this. We all fall short. We probably have more times where we lack courage and don't seize that opportunity to, to inject some gospel into the conversation. We're not so compassionately, caringly aware of all the seekers around us. And if you're like me, you even hit points in your stride and your walk with Christ like, God, I, I don't care about them. It's too hard. It, it just maybe even hurts too much to keep caring about them and praying for them. But that's why we've got to end where this passage ends. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every day we need to keep coming back to the gospel that Jesus, his title for you personally as well, is my Savior, my leader, the one who courageously stood up for me, the one who not only stood up and was nailed to the cross but laid down his life for me, the one who from heaven sought me as a seeker, as one wandering from God, and He came down to pursue me, and looking upon me with compassion like a sheep lost. So we need to come back day by day, never ceasing to return to this gospel of grace that the Christ is Jesus. And why? Happy second birthday, Trinity Grace, because there is so much more work, good work, to be done and shone here in Toronto and to the ends of the earth. And so how does Acts 5, 17 and 41 calls to place our faith in Jesus? Lament before the crucified Jesus your disappointment. And by imperfect leaders, you've got to count yourself as one of them. And just even leading your own life that you've fallen short. Instead, look to Jesus as your Christ. Rest in His deep affection for you. Amen.